0: I was looking at the wrong notes. I was talking, wait a minute, I already preached that. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. As we continue where we started last week, that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. One of the greatest lessons that any true believer can learn is that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's a sense of security that is found in being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see around us in our culture, in our world, a world that is crumbling very quickly, falling apart, going crazy. We watch the news, we read the newspapers... Well, you look on the internet, read the read the news, and we see that there are there are things going on that could very much cause us to be anxious. That could cause us to be in fear. But for the believer, Paul is telling us that we have nothing to fear. For one thing, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And when God predestines to do something, you know what? He does it. That's why Paul could say in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. That's a great source of comfort to me, and I hope it is to you as well. Because when I look at my life and I see how, how often I fail God, when I see how often I give in to the temptations of sin, and, and I look and I say, God, how could you ever love someone like me? How could you put up with someone like me? But Paul assures us that in Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am loved. In Christ, I am forgiven. And the key to that is being in Christ. But the path of Christians is treacherous. We slip, we may fall. But as I said, we as true believers in Christ, we are secure because every believer Every single true believer in Jesus Christ is bound to God by a gracious, unchanging, eternal, indestructible love. It's a wonderful love to know that there's nothing that will ever separate us from God. In verses 31 through 34, we, we saw the first of these unanswerable questions that Paul gives. Who can be against us? And the answer is no one can be against us because God is for us. Does that bring joy to your heart? God is for us. Abraham Lincoln one time had a young man come to him and he said, Mr. Lincoln, It's obvious from the way your presidency has gone. It's obvious from everything that's going on that God is on your side. And Abraham Lincoln said, no, son. Whether God is on my side or not, I don't care. What I care about is, am I on his side? And that's what matters. God is for us. We're on His side. Did you know that? And that's what Paul is saying. He's encouraging us with this. If God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 32, he says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God will give us the lesser gifts because He has already given us the greatest gift of all. That of His Son. And and you realize the, the, the rationale of Paul's question right there. If God gave you Jesus, what in the world is he going to keep from you? He will give us all things graciously. He says, who will bring any charge against us in verse 33? No one will or can because God has justified us who are his elect. We are justified in the sight of God. God has declared us not guilty. God has taken every sin that we have or have or ever will commit. And he has cast them as far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? That's a long way. You know, if you go south far enough, you'll eventually be going north. If you go north far enough... You'll eventually be going south. But if you go east, you will forever go east. If you go west, you will forever go west. And Paul says that God has thrown our sins. He says, so who's going to bring any charge against me? He says there in verse 34, who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. It is God who justifies. Jesus died more than that. He was raised. Today, he's at the right hand of God, and he's praying for you and me. And then in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. four five words of this chapter are so important because you see Paul started out chapter eight with no condemnation in Christ and he ends it with no separation in Christ cry in Christ is the is the the, the key to this whole thing and Paul says who can separate us Paul said, spends more time on this question than he did the others. Uh, Already, when Paul wrote this letter, already the winds of persecution were beginning to be felt by the Roman Christians there, the Christians there in Rome. And it wouldn't be long before the storm of persecution would hit when Nero, who is one of the most vile and and wretched and evil men that have ever lived on the face of this earth, declared war on Christians. You know, Nero burnt down the city of Rome and blamed it on Christians Nero used to is the one who began to take the Christians and throw them into the arena for the lions and the the gladiators and all this to just slaughter. Nero used to take believers and crucify them and set them on fire to light up his garden. And these it would not be long after Paul had written this letter to the to the believers in Rome that this would all begin to happen. But already they're starting to feel it. And and I want to tell you that today all across our globe to this very day persecution of the church is in full force. Christians in places like Iran, North Korea, China, Russia. Believe it or not, Great Britain, Australia. And folks, can I tell you something? It's coming here. It's on its way. And Paul says to these believers, he says, well, let me tell you something. I know you're suffering. I know you're going through hard times, but let me tell you what God is doing in the midst of this. Paul wants them and wants us to know that not only does Jesus defend us, but he also loves us. Jesus entered into a relationship with us and nothing can separate us from him. And Paul, in verse 35, he mentions some possible uh, separators. He mentions um, affliction and distress. We may often feel that Jesus' love is absent during these times. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had something go on in your life as a believer? And you look around and say, God, where are you? You know where he's at? Right where he's always been. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Paul answers us that, that we are not outside the grip of God's grace. And, and even if affliction and distress come upon us, Paul said, his love should sustain us. He talks about persecution. Uh, persecution takes affliction and distress to another level. Uh, I, I, there is a, a movie, uh, kind of a documentary movie out there. It's very good. And it's called Tortured for Christ. And it's about a Russian man that, that is a Christian. And he was taken and put in prison for being a Christian. And it talks about the, the way they've tortured him, everything they've done to him. There's another one called The Insanity of God. You've never seen that one. You ought to watch it. They go all around the globe and show how believers are being systematically murdered one after another, in the middle of the streets. Uh, there there are so many today that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that live in governments that are opposed to Christ, that are opposed to the Bible. And, and to, Paul is writing to these and he says, Look, this persecution will never separate you from the love of Christ. Suffering for the gospel is a reality for believers. Uh, we do people a disservice when we tell them, Come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. I agree with R.C. Sproul. I didn't have very many problems until I came to Christ. That's when the trouble started. Because I want to tell you, folks, we live in a world that hates God. We live in a culture and a society. They love to to. Hey, let me give you an example. Last Monday night, I was doing what I love to do on Monday nights, watching Monday night football. And I saw something that in all my years I've never seen before. I saw a young man fall on the ground, and and for all practical purposes, he died. And they resuscitated him and brought him back. And all I've heard about this week is this: pray for him. Pray for him. Hey. ESPN, which is one of the most liberal sports stations out there, had a man on live TV, one of their hosts, said, you know what? He bowed his head and he prayed on live TV. And he prayed a legitimate prayer, too. Now, that's all well and good. But it wasn't that long ago they were firing coaches for praying on the field. They were threatening to fine players if they prayed on the field. So you see how fickle the world is? And Paul says that in the midst of this suffering, that's a reality for us. But he says that persecution can never separate us from the love of Christ. I don't know what level of persecution you and I may face in this country. We see it's very quickly coming. We're seeing our government become more and more anti-God. We're going to come a point in time, I believe, when they're going to take this wonderful document we call the Constitution, and they're going to throw it in the trash. And you and I must be ready, but Paul says, look, when it comes upon you, when this affliction, this distress, this persecution comes upon you, he says, don't forget, he said, Christ loves you. Because I will promise you in the midst of that, it's not that easy to remember. But we must remember that he loves us. Paul talks about famine and nakedness. Uh, You know, this speaks of the basic necessities of life. Now, in this instance, nakedness that Paul talks about does not so much mean uh, no clothing, but he's talking about being in a vulnerable position. And these believers, they face this, and you and I could face this, but Paul says, listen, whether it's famine, whether it's nakedness, whether you are deprived of the very necessities of life, and again, I bring you back to today in our world, there are Christians in our world today that, that struggle every day never knowing if today will be their last day on earth simply because they follow Christ. They're denied food. They're denied clothing. They're denied the basic things in life. But Paul says, even in the midst of this, these do not separate us from the love of God. He talks about danger. Danger reminds us of the reality of living out our faith in in a risky context. Do, Do you like to take risks? Do you like to stand on the edge? You do? You don't. I do. It gives it gives excitement to life. (laughs) But here's the thing, Paul, let me tell you something, folks. Paul told a young Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not might. Not maybe, but will suffer persecution. Let me ask you something. In this world that you live in, in your world outside these walls, in your home, in your job, in wherever you are, is there anyone that hates you because of your stand for Christ? Now, I'll tell you, that's a very convicting thing to me. Because if I can look at my life, say, hey, I'm friends with everybody. Everybody loves me. Jesus said, well, you're probably not doing something right <laughs> when we think that we are. And Paul says danger. Paul himself knew what it was like to endure danger and persecution and more. Let me, let me read over here. If you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, beginning with verse 23, Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman. "...with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people." Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches." So Paul knew what he was talking about. He said, look, I'm not just telling you this. He said, I've been there and I have experienced what it's like to go through all of these things. And he says, I can tell you in the midst of that, I knew that my Christ loved me. Do you know this morning that God, that Christ loves you? We will face many, many perilous things in this life. We will face many dangers in this life, especially when we take a stand for Christ. Listen, folks, I challenge you at your next family function, begin to talk about the evils of abortion. Begin to talk about the abomination of homosexuality. Do it at your job. Stand in Walmart and do it. Stand in the city square and proclaim the truth of God's word. And I promise you, you will know what Paul's talking about. Now, there was a time in this country that wouldn't have been true. But today it is. And it's going to become more and more. Paul talks about the sword. uh, The the sword which is execution. You know, John MacArthur points out that the Greek word for sword here is not a broad sword like you would use in a battle. He said it's like a dagger that you use in murder. And he says that, that death cannot separate us from God's love. As a matter of fact, we find that what death does is brings me into his presence. And we need not fear any of these things, Paul says, he quotes here in verse 36, Psalm 44, 22. He says, that is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's how the world sees us. They sees us as nothing more than animals to be slaughtered. And this, uh, this Psalm 44 that Paul quotes is talking about the suffering of God's people. And Paul's point seems to be, That suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. You know, I've told some of you this before. I'll never forget years ago when I was ordained into the ministry. My pastor at the time told me something that I thought, I do not understand what that means. And he says, you will. And many years later, I did. Here's what he told me. He said, When you are called to a church as a pastor, he said, if you find a church that does not have any problems or any trouble, get away from it. And I found that to be true. He says, if God's not, if Satan's not working, neither is God. And he says, when you find a church that has a lot of trouble, when you have a church that is that, that is being persecuted, you will find a church where God is at. Where you have people who love the Lord and are obedient to God. Because those are the churches they go after. And here's something else that I found out. John MacArthur talks about this. He says when he came out of seminary, he said it never dawned on him. And I have found this to be true as well. He said it never dawned on him coming out of seminary that the people who would oppose his preaching of the gospel more than anybody else were church members. Listen, I have found that the majority of our persecution doesn't come from outside the church. It comes from inside of it. And Paul knew what this was. And Paul says we are like sheep to the slaughter. So suffering should not surprise the believer in Jesus Christ. We have a tendency that when things don't go absolutely right in our life, we call and say, God, what did I do wrong? God, what's wrong with you? Where are you? Don't you love me anymore? And God says, yes, I love you. That's why you're doing this, going through this. Because, you see, we have a a destiny that has been predetermined by God himself that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Today, Jesus sits on the throne. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. But there was no crown without a cross. And if that's true of our Lord, folks, I can tell you it's true of us. We have been called to be like Him, and part of being like Him is that we will suffer. But Paul says, remember this. He says, as, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says, no. It's an emphatic no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us. Don't forget that last part. We're not conquerors outside that. And actually when Paul says we are more than conquerors, those three words together in the Greek come up with the word super conquerors. We go beyond being a conqueror. But how could we not if we're joint heirs with Christ? Christ. Paul says we are more than conquerors. It's a resounding no in all these things. God does not always take us out of these things, but God will always bring us through these things. One of my favorite Psalms, everybody's favorite Psalm, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through, not into, but through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I won't be afraid because God, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But notice what he says. He says, no, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And notice that it's the valley of the shadow of death. Just imagine you're driving down the road. And a big truck, big 18-wheeler passes you. And the shadow of that truck goes across your car. Let me ask you a question. What would you rather be hit by, the truck or the shadow? Mm -hmm. Well, the shadow, you know why? Shadow can't hurt you. By the way, did you know that if there's a shadow present, you know what else is present? Light. And the psalmist says, though I walk through, through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I'll fear no evil. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, he says, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We regard as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We may experience all of these things before your life is over. And I will promise you, folks, if you ever come to a place to where you are purposely intentionally deciding you're going to live for Christ and, and live a life of holiness, you will suffer these things you will. But Paul says God may not always take us to Him and we may experience Him but we can know that we are secured in the love of Christ and that God is sovereign through it all and God is sovereign over it all. I'll give you an example. You may have heard of him, a man named Job. Going about his business, Job was a wealthy man. He had a large family. He loved the Lord. Job did everything right. He did everything right to the point that when Satan is standing before God and God says, have you noticed Job? You see, that should be a compliment to Job, that God says, I notice him because he loves me. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Satan standing before God. God says, "Where you been?" He says, "Walking down over Trafford." He said, "Well, have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He loves me. He obeys me. He worships me." God painted a target on Job's back intentionally. And Satan, well, you know, if you take all this away from him, he'll curse you. God said, "Go ahead," but can't do this later. He comes back after he takes all of his money, after he takes all of his family, except his wife. I'm not going to go there. Job, Satan comes back and God says, well, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. So Job does. But here's the point that I want you to see. In all of this, Job had no idea what was going on throughout the entire book. I don't know that his entire life on earth he ever understood until he walked into heaven. He probably walked into heaven and said, look, we need to talk. I need to know what happened. I don't think he even did that. But I want to tell you something. Job, in all of this, did not sin in his heart. He did not curse God. But... Satan was only doing what God allowed him to do. That's comforting. That's comforting. And Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, look, no matter what happens to us, none of this can separate us from the love of God. Even if we are slaughtered for his name's sake, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. To be more than conquerors over affliction, distress, persecution. It indicates that these enemies are actually turned to the good of believers. Need another illustration? There was this man, young man named Joseph. Had a lot of brothers. Had a father that loved him. Father loved him so much he gave him a coat of many colors. You know what he did when he did that he painted a target on, on joseph 's back. His brothers hated him, they wanted to kill him. they finally sold him into slavery sold him in now Joseph loved the Lord and if you read through the the, the, the story there in Genesis, you will find joseph gets he's thrown into a pit by his brothers and while he's in the pit, he cries out and says "God." I thought you loved me. Why are you letting this happen to me? He didn't say that. When he was sold into slavery, he says, Okay, God, now this is getting a little serious. Don't you love me? He didn't say that either. He went to work for a man named Potiphar. Potiphar had a wife that took a liking to Joseph. She tried to force herself on him. Joseph ran from it. She accused Joseph of rape. And Joseph spent 10 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And there in that prison cell, Joseph said, Okay, God, I've had enough now. Don't you love me? He didn't do that either. You know what Joseph did? He said, if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave I can to the glory of God. He said, if I'm going to be a prisoner in prison, I'm going to be the best prisoner I can to the glory of God. Now, you all know how it ends, right? Joseph winds out, winds up being literally... The most powerful man on the planet. And his brothers come to him later. So Joseph, now he's in a position now to exact some revenge. All he has to do is say the word and they're dead men. And they're trembling before him. Which is exactly what Joseph way back yonder had a dream and told him they would do. That's why they hated him. And now they're doing the very thing that that he told them. And Joseph says, let me tell you something. What you intended for evil, God meant it for good. And to the saving of many people. And you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what this world throws at us, regardless of what Satan throws at us, regardless of what our flesh throws at us, those are our three greatest enemies. Paul says we are more than conquerors. And I promise you, Paul says, God will use that to accomplish his purpose in your life. You know why? Because he loves you. That's why. So we see all these things. That we are more than conquerors. We can know that God will use everything in our life for our good and for His glory. Again, how can we know that God is at work in the midst of these trials and that He is for us? The last two words there, verse 37, tells us. Him who loved us. Him who loved us. Verse 38 and 39, Paul says, For I'm sure. Some translations, I like this better, says, Paul says, I'm confident. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let me ask you something, folks. Think about this. Can you think of anything in this world, anything in all of creation that Paul didn't mention? He mentioned everything we are most afraid of, especially the number one thing. It's called death. We fear death. Do you fear death? Why? Now, let me not get too far ahead of myself here. I'm afraid of it too, by the way. That's why I don't fly on airplanes. That's why I eat Whataburger every day. No, listen. We fear death. And Paul's saying, why do you fear death? To be absent from this body is to be what? Present with the Lord. As Charles Spurgeon said, we need to understand that for the believer in Jesus Christ, death is nothing but a step from here to there. To close your eyes here and open them in the presence of Jesus himself. So why are we afraid of? And he says, even in death, Paul says, for I am sure Paul wants wants us to be convinced that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Paul lists here four pairs of threats. He lists, uh, they, 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 verse 35 deals with the hardships of life, and 38 and 39 is a more universal list. Nothing, Paul says, in all the realm of human existence, not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul began his letter... Telling us how bad we are. Telling us how wicked and evil our hearts truly are. And as he progressed, by the way, you know, that's the first thing you got to know for you can be saved. You got to know you need to be. Then he progressed on and he says, but we are justified freely by grace through Christ. Christ. About how God, what He has done for us in Christ, and how we've been saved, and here in verse eight, uh, chapter eight, what Paul is taking—he's taking in a condensed version—all the benefits that are ours in Christ. And he begins it with, "Okay, there's no condemnation for you anymore. There's nothing but love." That's how he ends it. There's nothing but love for you, for Christ, in Christ. Romans 8, 32 through 39, it assures us that verse 31 is true. What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? As a matter of fact, from verses 32 through 39, it is Paul expounding on verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not with him freely also give us all things? And then he goes on and he says, who's going to bring any charge against you? God is on your side. God is for you. Who shall bring any charge against you? It is God who justifies. God is for you. Who's going to condemn you? Jesus died, rose again. God is for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? God is for you. And because God is for us in all things, we are more than conquerors. Death, life, angels, principalities. When Paul uses the word angels and principalities there, uh, you know, that or rulers, He's talking about the realm of, uh, of evil, Satan's domain. He says, look, he said, they can't touch you. He can't touch you unless God says so. And if God says so, he has a reason. As Job and Joseph both found out, we need to allow these truths to lead us to worship. We need to rejoice in God's love. We need to celebrate God's love. We need to allow these truths to lift us from the depths of despair. This life is hard. You figured that out yet? Did you know that in this life, if you live to be 90 years old, do you know that you will have more trouble in your life than not from the moment you're born to the day you die? Job said... Man is born for trouble. We will face sin. And it's easy to allow the sin and the suffering and the death to lead us to discouragement. You know, I remember one time I was pastor at another church and I had to preach three funerals in one week. Now, when I preach funerals. I preach a gospel message because usually they're full of people that will never step foot in a church. And a pastor friend of mine, he said, hey, you doing okay? After the first one. And I said, yeah. I said, I laid it to him today. And after the second one, I saw him and he said, well, you still doing okay? And I said, yeah, I'm getting a little tired. After the third one that week, I was downright depressed. And I couldn't figure that out. And I thought, why am I so depressed? And I realized because I was so around so much death and despair that it affected me. And Paul here is talking about this. And he says, look, when you face these things, look to the God who loves you. You know how much he loves you? While you were still sinners, he sent Christ to die. Paul says, that's how we know God loves us. We need to allow these truths to show us what unites us as true believers in Christ. Notice that throughout this passage, Paul uses words like we and us. He doesn't use the word I at all. He says, we and us. You know, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, in this way, pray our father, not my father. Father. But our father, because we are believers and we are united in Christ together. Romans 8, if we embrace these truths wholeheartedly, they will make a difference in your life. They should cause us to fall on our knees to God, to commit ourselves to be more faithful and obedient to this God who loves us so much. Do you know that God loves you? You know, we, we, we throw that around. You know, we tell the world God loves you, which is a lie, by the way. God only loves his own. We tell the world that the love of God allows you to live any way you want to do. And that's a lie. But we need to understand that the love of God sent Jesus to die for our sin. That the love of God raised him from the grave. That in love, Paul says in Ephesians, in love he predestined us to be conformed to his image. God wants me to be like Christ. He wants you to be like Christ. You know why? Because he loves us. And we may face trials and tribulations and persecutions and and, and distress and all kind of hardships and, and, and things in this life, even death. And Paul says you need to remember that it is a loving God who let that happen to you. Now, I've had things happen to me in my life that I just don't understand. And I just want to say, God, what in the world? But I want to tell you something, folks, that I've learned. God has never, ever once in his word said, understand what I'm doing. God has never even said, if you don't understand, come ask me and I'll tell you. I'll tell you what he does say. He says, trust me. Trust me. These truths believed and lived out in our life. That there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. There's no separation for those in Christ Jesus. Should lead us first of all to make sure we are in Christ Jesus. See, these are not for everybody. These are for only for those who are in Christ. I cannot stress to you enough how important it is that we understand that in Christ is the safest place in the universe to be. By the way, it's also the most wonderful place in the universe to be because it is only in Christ that I will stand before a holy God. And in this chapter, Paul has told us, he says, look, you got the Holy Spirit who helps you with your prayer. He says you have a savior in heaven who stands before the throne of God before his father and intercedes for you. So the next time you face any of these things or all of these things, we can we can stop and say, God's word tells me that my savior is praying for me right now. And that my God loves me in Christ. And I may not understand, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. You know, he never explicitly says it, but you realize that's exactly what Job did. I mean, Job got to the point where he says, you know, he said, curse the day I was even born. But at no point did Job ever say, God, you made a mistake. God, you did wrong. Job endured his suffering. And he wondered now, he wondered very much, God, where are you? Why is this happening? But he at no time demanded that God give him an answer. And at no time did God offer to give him an answer. But Job trusted the Lord. You know, some of those beautiful words Job said, he says in chapter 1, whenever all of his family's been killed, all of his possessions are gone, all of his money's gone, and he says, you know what? The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, shall we accept good from God and not also accept the bad? And what Job is saying is, God can be trusted. Have you found that God can be trusted? Have you found that out? I have. God can be trusted. God always keeps His promises. God never lets us down. Those of us who are believers and and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ can rest in this right here, that our God is for us. And He has promised that one day, Not only let me go back up here at the top, not only did he predestine us, not only did he call us, not only have we been justified, that all takes place in the here and now. But he has promised that we also will be glorified. That takes place in eternity future. Now, he kept all the rest of it. What makes us think he won't keep the other? God can be trusted. That's what Paul's saying. And, and, you know, he's saying all that I have said to you, everything that I have laid out for you. Paul, you know, I think the book of Romans is probably one of the is probably the very first and probably one of the greatest uh, systematic theology books you'll ever read because Paul covers it all in there. And he says. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we don't understand why you would love such a sinful people as us in this way. But we thank you that you do. We thank you, Father, that in your great love you sent your only Son to bear our sins. And Lord, I pray this morning that all of us, all who are